you want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were truly in my damn homeland. Hey, everybody. We are back for another episode of On She Goes, the podcast. Um, I am interviewing today Alicia Greenwell, who is the creator of the Black Joy Parade. She is also a expert in branding and marketing as a strategist. Uh, Alicia, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Wonderful. So um, just to, before we start, I want you to kind of explain what the Black Joy Parade is. I had an opportunity to go, thankful, thankfully to you. Um, <clears throat> it was so amazing. Such an experience. I overall, I mean, you know, we, I live in Portland, so... Mm-hmm. Living in Portland is is a different. I know you've been here. You've been there. So you, you've lived here before. It's a different type of experience where you kind of feel like a bother sometimes being a black woman, black person, or even just a person of color for not just a person of color, but for people of color. Uh, you almost feel like an inconvenience when you walk into a space. Mm-hmm. I did not like. I've never felt so welcomed, so loved, so appreciated, and like just able to fully just be myself, be with my people, and, like, be with people who are allies to my people. Like, it was just such an amazing, wonderful experience. And so I thank you so much for creating this because I I went home and I raved about it. I was, like, telling my mom. <laughs> my mom's like, ooh, that's nice. What's that? Is it coming to Philly? And I'm like, I don't know, Mom. I don't think so. But <laughs> we'll, get to, we'll get to that later. But... <laughs> Um, tell us a little bit about the Black Joy Parade, the history of the parade, what the parade is, and how the idea came to you. Yeah, so, um, I mean, exactly how you just described your feeling is what the Black Joy Parade is. I think it's three years going, and like any, you know, beautiful creative project, it continues to evolve. But in its infancy, it's a celebration for all that is positive in the Black community. And that's like what it that's what it was born out of as well. I moved back to the Bay Area and I was just feeling this like overwhelming sense that the only time there was lots of us, thousands of us, was when we were protesting or, you know, something bad was happening, which obviously we need to continue to do, and especially in Oakland, the home of, you know, the Black Panthers and so much of the Black Lives Matter movement was founded here as well. But that seems to be a shame. That seems to be like, why are we only all together when we're sad at funerals and weddings and protests and, you know, being activists. And that's quite exhausting. And so Black Joy Parade tries to be the opposite of that, some relief to that, which is just a celebration of all of us. And so that, and so when you think about what it is, it's a party for Black people. (laughs) It's a giant party for Black people, which means it's, it's a parade and also a celebration and festival at the same time. But I think you you can take all the individual components and try to label it like it's this, it's this, it's this, but at the end of the day, it's just a party. It's just a big old party for black people. So, But that's wonderful. I mean, we need a party, <laughs> know. you know, because like you're right, it is stressful <laughs> and it is hard because like and also so much now is centered around our blackness. Absolutely. Like, you know, we constantly wake up and we see our people being manhandled by police or Absolutely. whatever someone is saying something negative about us on Twitter or, you Absolutely. know, Facebook or whatever have you or the president, you know, it's just All like, gosh, <laughs> right. I just want to feel good about myself. Oh, yeah. yeah. And exactly what you were saying is like, 
it's a day where you can go and just not be concerned about that. Like, mm-hmm. just be there. Be with your people, to your point. Be with your allies. Mm-hmm. Dress however you feel like dressing. Like, be however you talk about the things that you feel comfortable talking about. Um, just laugh with your people and your friends. And it is my favorite day of the year. It is my favorite day in Oakland. I, like, no matter where I will continue to be in the rest of my life, I will always make sure I can, like, throw Black Joy Parade for myself and also for all the people that I love. So so now it's the third. It was the third annual. Um, yeah. What was it like creating the parade experience the first year compared to this year? Like, how did those two differ? Well, the first year, I mean, I I had no idea what I was doing. So there's that. <laughs> and then, you know, when you birth a creative baby and you just like staring at it, crying, happy, like you're not sure what's happening. I also, you know, I think we permitted for like a few thousand the first year and 14,000 showed up. So that shock alone of like, where did all these people come from? And and recognizing that you've hit a nerve, that there's something special about the insight that you had is true of more than just you. I think that was like very overwhelming the first year of like, oh my gosh, we did this. And look, all of these people needed this party. They needed this celebration just like I do. This year, I think I was, it, the first year, even though there was tons of people there, I felt like I knew every single person there. Like, I'm like, oh, you're blah, blah's auntie. Oh, your daughter's in the parade. Oh, you're the homie that coffee with about the thing for the thing. This year, I'm like, who are you? Where did, where did you come right, from? Right. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like standing up on this. There's a sort of incline at some point in the parade. And I'm standing on top so I can look down into downtown Oakland. And I'm like, these streets are filled with black happiness right now. Like just smiles everywhere. And I didn't know most of the people. And that makes you just feel... I don't know, it just makes it feel impactful, right? It makes it feel important. It makes it feel like you're building a legacy, which starts to take you even just out of that immediate moment and start thinking about the future generations that we're impacting, that there's all these kids that will grow up always going to Black Joy Parade. Mm-hmm. They'll always have this day of celebration. They'll always have this moment of relief. For us, we're like, oh my God, I've never felt this, but they will grow up knowing that they're special, like knowing that they're worth celebrating. And that's something this year that it was really really, really impactful for me and really meaningful. That's wonderful. I Growing up, I'm, you know, I'm from Philly. I think I've I said mm-hmm. it. I say it like all the time on this podcast. <laughs> Did you know I'm from Philly? Did yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like all the time. Um, <clears throat> so in Philly, we have a, an African street festival called a Dune Day. And yeah. growing up, I always went to a Dune Day with like my family and everything. And it was like really, really great. But I haven't, it's, it's true. I haven't seen anything like that in a really long time. I mean, even in New York, when I lived in New York, I don't think I've really seen much around, like, celebrating black culture that is, like, family-friendly, you know? Like, where it's, like, you can bring all the kids and everything, mm-hmm. you know? Because mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I went to, yeah. like, you know, the Caribbean Parade on and Labor Day and, like, everything like that. And it's, like, super fun, but it is a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> so, but... um so tell me, like, I saw there was so much support from brands this year. And I know I, yep. I know in the past there has, too. You've had a lot of support from brands. And as a branding professional, like, what what is it like getting branding for, branding for something that is so near and dear to your heart? I know that, like, there are times <laughs> where brands can let us down, you know? And it's yep. like, yep. <clears throat> especially as a culture, what is it like, what is your process like in picking who you want to partner with or who you want instead of just, like, saying yes to everybody, you know? Yeah, we've definitely had to turn down some brands that we just didn't feel like were value oriented or in the right place as a brand to um, to sort of stand next to us uh, in honesty, I guess. 
Um, so the process is, is two-way. I mean, I think a lot of brands I seek out because I recognize that they have supported the Black community for years. Um, and, and that is just like coming from my history as someone in advertising, as a strategist, and just understanding what, what the alignments are. And sometimes those brands are really loud and proud about that work. So I think Hennessy's for years like understood the power of the Black dollar, understood the power of the Black community and Black culture. And Black Joy Parade is just another thing that they do, right? Versus some brands like Facebook is like, you, I know that you have it in you. Like, I know that Black communities are important to you, that Black communities thrive on your platform. But I also know that you have all these issues with the Black community mm -hmm. and the things that you are not addressing. How can Black Joy Parade help you move more towards the honesty, move more towards the support and authenticity, and start to address some of the things that you are having trouble with? And so when I approach brands like that, I try to find those like sort of classic concentric circles, like where do we meet in the middle? Mm -hmm. Sometimes brands come to us and they say, we're really interested. This is what we want to do. And we just as a team have to vet, is this right for us? Is this not? I remember, um, I guess it was the second year, Walmart approached us and we had a whole team round table for like an hour around like how do we feel about this given what's happening with their employer base the wages that they're paying mm -hmm. what they were doing in a lot of communities as far as like killing small business um, and we ended up working with them specifically on their retail and access to black beauty brands because walmart is actually incredible and in giving um communities access to all of the things that they need to sort of like feel beautiful and Mm -hmm. feel lovely and they've continued to support that and so can we bring walmart on specifically in that area of their business where we feel like they are true allies for our community now if we were to have a whole conversation about walmart corporate and like all the bigger things that would be a different thing right. but i think every every potential sponsor is a is a nuanced a nuanced situation you know i can't just say anyone can come and i also can't say we don't allow anybody that's a, over fortune 500 etc right. so it's similar to the work that we do right in marketing where mm -hmm. you sit and you have to the nuance is everything right the strategy is everything mm -hmm. and then being really really transparent with potential clients around how we're going to work together and who and who and who is powerful in this situation you know let's right. not take advantage of either side so exactly it takes so much care to like create a safe space and to like and keep it safe you know like it's so hard i think i've seen several safe spaces not become safe anymore and it's like it's just so hard to do that i think that over the last 3 years like i haven't been to the first or the second one but from what i've heard you've done that really well um, like you. you've made a safe space <laughs> and kept it safe. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, well, because it's like there's so many vulnerabilities that our people fall under when it comes to like, you know, being out, partying, being able to be ourselves and like, you know, everything. It's like, but it seems like you have a good compromise with the city as well. How is it working with the city? And like, you know, of course, there has to be police presence and things like that right. for order. How has that been for you? It's gotten better, I will say. I think mm -hmm. in the beginning, who were we? Like, we, they were like, you, you want to do what? <laughs> right, you're trying to shut down the whole downtown Oakland and have all these black people here? Like, you know, and I think the city has its own baggage of um, bias, um, some historical events that they have probably perceived to have gone a different way than they might have gone. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a struggle in the beginning to just get them to be open to um, joy, honestly, to be open to a mass gathering that wasn't a protest, that they didn't feel like they had to be on their um, on edge about. So, but I think after the first year, we had you know fourteen thousand people and zero incidents. I mean. And then the second year, I think we had one person like cut their hand because they were at the bar, but that was it. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? That was, there was no fights. There was no, there was no disturbances. There was nothing, right? Other than the cars complaining because we threw a parade and their car needed to get off the street. <laughs> like other than that, um, it was nothing. And so 
over the past two years and then now this third year, I find the city to be very supportive in addition to like helping us um, keep costs down, you know, because permitting and police and all that stuff is very expensive, Mm -hmm. even offering us some arts grants so that we can continue to support and pay the artists that we that grace our stages. Um, They've been amazing. Our city councilwoman, Lynette McElhaney, is like ride or die for us. Um, and she, you know, she works wonders for us. So I think, uh, you know, we've proven, um, proven our mission and they've come along on that journey with us. And, and now I think we're probably a little bit of a, an ignorable force for them. I mean, like you're not about to just shut down Black Joy Parade in these streets. So it's like <laughs> the negotiation situation is a little bit different today than I think it was in day one. Mm-hmm. So it's good. It's really good. It's evolved. But I would say for anybody attempting to do public events, um, making a partnership with your city, I couldn't tell you how important that is. Making sure that they know that you are trying to work to better the city mm-hmm. in addition to better your event and your cause and your mission and your team um, is really important because they um, they can make or break. You know, They can make or break anything that you're doing, unfortunately. So Yeah. Um, where do you see the parade going in the future? Like, I mean, what is the next, <laughs> what's the next level? I mean, cause it seems to have leveled up every year. What's the next yeah. level of the Black Joy Parade? The fourth annual. Yeah. So the fourth <laughs> annual, I know I can't even, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I've always had this vision of Black Joy Parade to be a destination for Black Joy, for Oakland specifically to be a destination. People have very much encouraged us like, come to LA, come, I mean, even, you know, the team at Wyden, like come to Portland. And I think one of the challenges that I have with expanding to different cities like Philly or wherever is Black Joy Parade is homegrown in Oakland, which means that if I were to come to Portland, I need to move to Portland and like and and <laughs> right, find right. a coalition, you know, like talk like Elizabeth right. Warren style, like find a coalition and like build from the ground up, you know, to figure out what what is that community specifically need. Like joy means different places and different things in different different things in different places. Right. And so having people on the ground to do that. So for now. I think our goal is for Black Joy Parade to just continue to expand in Oakland and be a destination so that anybody in the country, maybe even the world, is like, how do I celebrate Black History Month? It's like, oh, I should go to Oakland. Mm-hmm. Like, I should go to this place that has like harnessed it, facilitated, holding it for us, creating this beautiful space. And so what we have is the end of every Black History Month is people are flying all over into Oakland to celebrate Black Joy and to support the Black Oakland community, which we know is in a troublesome situation mm-hmm. given the economies of the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the sort of like, I guess, three or four year uh, mm-hmm. vision. 10 years from now, girl, who knows? <laughs> you never you never know where creative ideas go. One, you're like, I never could have imagined. Like, yeah. I think that 10 years from now, I'll be standing somewhere and be like, who would have thought, you know? Um, yeah. Do, do you feel like your positioning as a, a, a as a pillar of the community has like, because I know I had people when I was growing up that I'm like, I always remember these specific people, <laughs> you know what I mean? That were like standing yeah. up for us. And like, do you feel like that person for Oakland? One of those people? I feel like, I feel like Black Joy Parade is becoming that thing. I don't mm-hmm. know if I personally am, although I'm quite loud in a lot of city <laughs> council meetings. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm here. I This is what I need. Um, but I do think Black Joy Parade has, is, quickly becoming one of the pillars, definitely of the black community, but I think of Oakland in general, because we have so many allies who are sort of on our team and helping us. Um, And it feels great. It feels uh, meaningful, like I said. It feels like we're starting to build a legacy. It it feels like something so much bigger than us, that we're contributing to this beautiful, like, mosaic of culture within the Bay Area, and and definitely Oakland. I think me personally, I don't know. I, I, I don't... Um, I guess I am the face of Black Joy Parade, but I 
also recognize it's bigger than me. Mm-hmm. So sure, it, you know, in the streets, people are like, oh, you're the Black Joy Parade girl. <laughs> like, you know, like that in the market, with, right? Yeah, that comes with its own uh, its own challenges, which I know, like the the leaders of Black Lives Matter will talk about that, like mm-hmm. finding your identity separate and then in tangent with the movement that you build. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so much bigger than me that I couldn't even say that I'm the pillar. I think it's that Black Joy is a pillar of becoming a pillar. Mm-hmm. Are people who are not residents of Oakland allowed to volunteer? Like if they wanted to fly yeah. themselves out to volunteer? Oh my gosh, we have so many volunteers from LA. Actually, oh, wonderful. Majority, yeah, and, and um, a lot of, especially the first two years, the majority of the volunteers that worked our bars, so handled cash and alcohol and sensitive things, were friend, like dear friends of mine and mostly allies. And they flew in from LA, New York, all over the place. Um, to volunteer and to help out. And so you can come from anywhere. And eventually we'd love to start like a volunteer program where we're paying people to fly out. Um, mm-hmm. Cause it's can exp- expensive to fly out to Oakland and the hotels and all this stuff. And um, if you're down to come and support and spend your day, like serving the black community, hopefully we can help do that, help you do that, you know? Yeah, that's wonderful. I, we need to make sure that our listeners can figure out how to do that. Cause I know that people are gonna wanna, you know, be a part of it, even if they're not from Oakland, you know? Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give to other young women of color who are interested in doing something similar in their cities? I mean, you mentioned, like, you know, basically befriending your city and making your city your, your ally. <laughs> yeah. But, like, even even things like I've seen Curl Fest blow up from being something really small to something that's yeah. mega, mega huge and, like, in other places now. And, you know, starting those things, it's a lot of work, you know? Like, what do yeah. you— what advice would you give them, like, for mentally, like, self-care, you know? Like, oh, I'm sure it's yeah. tough sometimes. It can be defeating, and it can be like, forget it, I'm not doing it anymore. Like, you know, <laughs> what, what advice do you give? Yeah, um, I think I have two things. Is one, like, lean hard on your network. Um, you, th- you have maybe up until now thought, if, if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. And while there is truth to that, um, you can do it through a network of very, very supportive women, other women, other people in general, your family. Um, that network will not only help you build the dream, build the thing, and you have no idea how they can contribute because you've never asked, you've never put it out there, um, but also build you up and support you when it when it gets really hard and when you feel like you're going to be defeated or you know someone's coming for you. Just lean very hard. And, and in that, you have to be very vulnerable. You have to be willing to you know, put your ideas out there and you know, be sensitive about that or, or not be as sensitive sometimes. Um, but also just allow people to give you real feedback. Allow them to push you to be stronger, to be weaker, to um, be more open, to share more, to be more honest, like whatever it is that you might need. Um, be vulnerable and really open to that because that's the only way you're going to get through it. If you sort of go through and be like, this is how I am, rock solid, da 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 da, you will just crumble. You will crumble from the stress. You'll crumble from the millions of things you have to do. You'll crumble from all the meetings you have to take. It's just, it's too much for one person to hold. But when you're open, other people sort of come in with you and um, and you then it stops just being about you. It's it's about this collective working on something really organically and, and supportive. So I think that can be very, it can be very, very hard for black women um, to be that vulnerable uh, because we've been hurt, you know, we've been burned or we've been vulnerable and then had no support. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if your idea is really beautiful and it, and you, it's really you and you really believe in it, that won't happen. You know, people will come on that journey with you. Mm-hmm. So just try, just try to be open and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you are such an amazing person. I think that oh, the fact you. that you've done this is so bold and it's so strong and it's wonderful. Like, honestly, like, again, I can't say enough how great it felt to be there and like even because like usually I'll go places and I'll be like okay I'm ready to go back to Portland now but I was like 
ah, I kind of want to stick. <laughs> like, is anything going on on, uh, on Monday? No. What are on, we Monday? on Monday? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> you know what's so fun is like, we get all these messages on Monday that's like, girl, I walked into work today and I was like, don't get, tell me that. I'm like, that. And so the, re, the people don't know this, but the reason we have it in February, people are like, it's cold, blah, blah. The reason we have it in February is because I remember uh, one Black History Month a few years ago when I was like, dang, Black History Month is so fun. It's, it's so, fun. so lit. And then March comes and we're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's happening? And so could we have an event at the end of Black History Month that like carries our joy beyond just that month? Mm-hmm. And it seems to work. We get like the most beautiful notes about, oh, the next day my daughter, she was just so proud. She wanted to wear her crown and like all this stuff. And so I think that's another thing that we're trying to do is like, we don't have to just be in one month. Like we are, we're celebrating all year round, even when shit's hard, even when mm-hmm. stuff's, even when we're at that protest, like you can go home and remember mm-hmm. that you are special and that you are worth all of this joy and all, and this big old party all the time. So mm-hmm. I had all my buttons on. I came back to work <laughs> on my buttons and everything. And like, you know, what? I had one experience that was so, so wonderful. I'm going to let you go in a second. But like no, um, okay. this girl came up to me and she's like, oh, that's a really nice pin. But you need this one, too. And like takes a pin off her jacket <gasps> and puts it on me. And this was the night before. This was uh, Saturday. And I was like, thank you so much. And she was just like, <laughs> she was like, no problem. And like, just like walked into the club. Now, I was like yeah. that was wonderful like it just felt good and it felt like you know I think uh black people we are a very peaceful people I mean obviously if we weren't we would have been burnt this bitch down but <laughs> like <laughs> we're a very peaceful people and, and we love to be around each other and I think I just thank you so much for giving us that opportunity to do that Oh, thank you for coming. Thank you for your support. I'll be there next year. I'm coming every year. Okay. (laughs) I'm coming. Listen, I'm going to be there. We can remember this, and then the 10th annual will be like, who would have thought? Right. It's going to be like on the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Alicia. Uh, If you guys want to follow the Black Joy Parade on Instagram, it's just at Black Joy Parade, correct? On Instagram? Yep, perfect. And uh, look out for it. The website is blackjoyparade.org. Volunteer. Help Alicia out. She is wonderful. Uh, Get to know her. Yes. (laughs) Just come experience this day, this whole celebration we're having for you. You will not regret it. (laughs) Come to your own party. Come to your own party. (laughs) Thank you, girl. (laughs) You're welcome. Bye. So we're recording today, make sure we are recording, and we are. We are recording today with Sarah Green. Sarah is the co-founder and CEO of The Braid Releaser. Um, The Braid Releaser was an idea that your mother had came up with in like 1992, right? And then she, uh, now there's been some 3D models of it and now you got a Kickstarter going to get this going. And I mean, when I saw The Braid Releaser, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Please, because you know how long it takes me to take out braids when I have them. It's really, <laughs> really stressful, and my yes, hands start cramping. Um, so not only are you this co-founder and CEO of the Brave Release, you're also a footwear developer for Adidas, which is amazing. Um, Sarah, first of all, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me via Skype. Yes, um, of course. Thank you for I, having me. 
Yes, I have to tell the listeners that if you hear noises in the background, it's because even during a pandemic, people cannot stop driving V6 engines <laughs> up and down the street and, you know, all of these right. things. So I tried to get my house as quiet as possible, but it might not be working. Um, but of course, we have to make, you know, concessions for the world we're living in today. Um, yes. So, Sarah, first and foremost, uh, again, thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're originally from. Um, tell us the story of the Braid Releaser as well, if you can. Yeah, so a little bit about it's such a long story, but I'll make it long story short. <laughs> oh, long story, long story. Um, we like so, long stories. Right. <laughs> I was, so I was, I was born in Jersey City, um, and pretty much that was, my space all the way up until I guess a high school college time where I kind of transitioned into um, living in New York City but um, I was I kind of started out as a track athlete and my siblings ran track so uh, I started running track at the age of seven years old I was running independently from my brother and then I was running with this um, team called the Cougars in North New Jersey or Irvington. I think it was North New Jersey, but um, was running with them. And I ran all the way up until high school. And then I got lazy. <laughs> I was, I got really, to keep it honest, I was unmotivated because I knew that track was not going to be my ticket into this bomb career of, you know, Olympics and all that stuff. That wasn't my, that wasn't my goal. So from there, I went into uh, designing. Um, I started pre-college courses like the summer of my eighth grade year going to FIT, um, just learning how to sew, learning how to sketch. And I did that pretty much all the way up until I got accepted. So I was just really trying to, you know, I was just really trying to eat, breathe and sleep fashion design because I felt like that was like my way of being ahead of the game. Um, so at 14 years old, I started um, interning for Tommy Hilfiger. So that was like my first taste of the corporate world in the fashion industry. You so, said 14? Yes, at 14 years old. Wow. Yeah, that's so I was amazing. Traveling back and forth by myself to New York at 14 years old. Um, and it's just so crazy how times are different because, you know, at 14 years old, um, now for someone to be traveling by themselves is kind of like, I would be nervous today because people are crazy, but... People are crazier, people are yeah. crazier. But um, again, long story short, um, I, went, I ended up going to FIT and then from there started working for a knit, knitting manufacturer because I studied knitwear design in college. Did a couple of seasons for a women's wear brand called Cultiba NYC. That was fun. And from there... You got to travel to Japan for that, didn't you? Do you like, you were all so, over... Yeah, so what happened was we weren't generating enough revenue, unfortunately, um, for Cultiba NYC. But as a startup, you can't make a million dollars in one year. So... Um, they decided to take the brand back to Japan. And so I said, okay, well, now that Cultiba is gone, what am I supposed to do? Um, so I got promoted into um, a sales technician job. And that's when the traveling started to happen. Like I was all around the world, um, all around the country, promoting knitwear. Japan 
Um, I was in Japan for about close to a month. How was that? Amazing. Japan was, I think, it's so funny because next to Dubai, like, I feel like those were like my top two places. Like I can't say Dubai is better than Japan and Japan is better than Dubai. Like it's a different experience and it's different people. Like the food in Japan is amazing. The people are so hospitable. Um, the people are so nice. Um, I mean, the streets are like clean. Like you don't see any garbage in Japan. Um, you know, I just, I mean, I did the whole thing of like, wearing kimonos and like the tradition is to have like a, a elderly woman wrap you in the kimono and I experienced that and it was just crazy I couldn't believe that I was there and a lot of people you know it's interesting being a black woman especially going to Japan because um they don't see many people of color however it is diverse in some way because I did see a lot of um, I saw a lot of Africans in Japan, which is very interesting. Um, but it's it's diverse, but it's just interesting because people think you're somebody, so they want to take pictures. And I'm like, I'm no, I don't, I'm not a celebrity. <laughs> like, right, like, right. I would just go in the mall and people would say, you know, can we take a picture with her? And I was tall. So mostly people in Japan are smaller and they're shorter. So it was just an interesting experience. I've been there multiple times and every time I go to Japan, it's just amazing, amazing. Let me ask you this. I mean, I'm from Philly. So, I mean, being a black woman from Philly and you're from Jersey City, I feel like not too far off, but I mean, you've had some amazing experiences. I mean, interning at Hillfigure at 14. At 14, I think I was like trying to get a starter jacket. I mean, it was also 1995. But different, but again, different times, right? Because... 14-year-olds look like 21-year-olds now. <laughs> That's true. That is actually very true. And I looked 11 at 14. So. Okay, girl. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like, I've, I've done some traveling, obviously, on She Goes and everything. And, like, every time I go somewhere, I feel like, and this is just to kind of take a traveling, uh, like, break real quick so we can talk about yeah, that. Every time I go somewhere, I get this feeling of, like, wow. Like, I'm, because I, I think about, like, you know, I mean, you sh I'm sure you know Philly. Philly, just like yeah, Jersey, very, like, working class, very, yeah. you know, like, simple, kind of, like, salt of the earth people. Yeah. And, like, to think when you go, it's like, wow. Like, I know people where I'm from, like, my family members haven't experienced some of the things I've experienced. Like, what, I always try to pinpoint that feeling, and I can't really describe it. As you can see, I'm struggling to describe it. But, mm -hmm. like, I remember stepping foot in Shanghai and being like, I can't believe I'm in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. stepping foot in, in Panama, even being like, how am I in Panama? Like, anywhere. Mm -hmm. Spain, anywhere. Like, do you get that when you travel? I know that you're, like, an avid traveler. Do you get that feeling sometimes? You know what? I get that feeling all the time. I don't care if I've been to the place three, two times, 10 times. Like, it doesn't matter because, I don't know, it's like you could get on a plane and end up in a different time zone, end up in a totally different climate. And you're just like, each time you're like, oh, shoot, like, I'm here. Okay. And I'm right. going to enjoy it. Like, it's just like an outer body experience because people 
live in these places and this is their mm-hmm. norm, right? And they're walking mm-hmm. around and they're and then you're like, oh shoot, well I'm here. So let me try to fit in, you know? But Right, exactly. I, I don't take my travels for granted at all because um it's just a blessing that I have the opportunity to go. Um I remember times where I can only go to Miami and nothing's wrong with going to Miami. No, listen, that's I, I still go to Miami. Okay, <laughs> listen, I actually was looking up flights to Miami before this happened. Because <laughs> listen, Miami flights are like two dollars, right? Now. Right, so, right, right. Um, but yeah, when you when you get to experience someone else's culture, um, I think that's an opportunity that you can't take for granted. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like getting to do it, especially for work, is is also just a monumentous thing. I think I think the thing for for Black women is like, especially. I mean, and, and again, I can only kind of speak for myself. Is like growing up, I know several white children who used to travel to Europe for the summer and do all these things. And I'm like, I'm going to the Germantown YMCA camp for the summertime. I'm not going <laughs> anywhere yeah. that is like less, more than like four miles away. Yeah. Um, and to have that opportunity now is like truly, truly a privilege and a blessing is pretty amazing. Yeah, it it definitely is. Totally agree. So let's talk about the braid releaser. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing that's probably going to be a lifesaver for hands, arms, yes. and like, you know, people everywhere and also time. I mean, yeah. growing up, I have two younger sisters and I remember... Uh, sitting in front of the TV on Thursday nights. That's when everybody got their hair braided. Um, so, you know, you get washed. There was the wash day, you know, blow dry, braid all the way around your head and like into, you know, tiny cornrows. Mm-hmm. Um, and then taking it out was always a chore. So right. tell me about the braid releaser. How did it come about and where are you at with it now? Yeah, so my mom, I love my mom, but she doesn't know how to do hair. Um <laughs> And same with my dad, like they would put Vaseline and water in a rubber band. Like that oh, no. was it. It was bad. <laughs> so um so my mom always kept us in braids or we would be in curls. Like we would go to our braider Shayna, who we love so much. She pretty much braided the whole neighborhood's hair. Like you when you need to get hair braided, you go to Shana. That's all. That's the only person you go to. And if you needed to get your curls done, you would go to Shirley. And Shirley will hot comb your hair and curl your hair. Like that's the two people we we went to. Mm-hmm. And um, or my grandmother would hot comb my hair, and I'd be like, Oh my God, grandma, please don't burn me. But, I know, right? Been there. But um, yeah, you know, to your point about that chore, right? It's like your parents put you in the braids, but then they got to take it out. So. My mom just grew frustrated because me and my sister, it would take hours and it would like, again, put a strain on her wrists and her fingers. And she was like, you know what? I got to figure something out. I need to design something. I need to create something that's going to make my life easier. And it's so interesting because I feel like women of color are so ahead of their time all the time. Like always, always like there's not a time that we're not ahead of our time. So (laughs) my mom didn't do it to make money. Like, that's the that's the funny thing about it. Like she literally just created this tool to make her life easier. So right. she created the tool and she would just use it on us. Like that's it. Like that's really what it was. And she pretty much kept the prototype in an envelope for years. Like we're talking like twenty five plus years. But fast forward. I got my MBA and for our graduating project, we had to either 
focus on the business of our corporate jobs, like a specific department, or focus on your your passion. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to focus on for Adidas? And, and then I was just like, uh, what am I really passionate about? And with all this business knowledge still swimming in my head, let me do something that I'm passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. So God literally deposited, like, do your mom's brave releaser. And I was like, all right, boom, that's what I'm going to do. Like, it literally, I was sitting at my desk in school and I was like, all right, I'm going to do the brave releaser. And so I was talking to my mom about it and she's like, all right, yeah, do it. And so I did a business plan. I did a PowerPoint presentation for school. And my professor was like, you know, you did a really great job on your project. Obviously, I graduated, thank God. And he <laughs> said, you know, I really want to see you do something with this. And I was like, all right, you know, at the end of the day, I'm trying to walk across that stage and get hooded. Like, I'm not right, trying right. to, like, you know. And then I sat on it for a couple of months. And I was like, all right, let me do something with this. So... I looked up like incubator communities and accelerator programs, and I came across um, this incubator program called 100K Incubator. And basically, it's a community of women who are entrepreneurs, who are starting their businesses. They don't even, and some of the women don't even have their businesses registered. And I was actually Mm -hmm. one of those women. So um, Ariel who's the founder of the program, she helped me like register, get my EIN, get, you know, all of my paperwork just to make sure that um, I'm a fully functioning business and Mm -hmm. just learning about marketing, learning about how to get my business and funding out there. And so I said, well, I need some money. Like, and the reality (laughs) is for me, and I, I guess I can say fortunate and unfortunately right now, I am, I'm on a leave of absence for my doctorate degree. I choose to get my doctorate degree because I want better and I love to learn and I just want more for my life. Right. And, and it's just interesting because people are like, aren't you, like, why don't you want to just stop where, you know, you got your bachelor's, isn't that enough? And it's like, that's no, it's not enough. <laughs> you know, especially, <laughs> I feel you. For women of color, we have to, you know, over and over again, we have to work 10 times as hard as everybody else. So it's like, no, if this is what I'm, this is the path that I'm on, then this is the path that I'm going to go on. But also I have to be smart and I don't want to burn myself. You know, I don't want to burn out at the end of the day. So, you know, make long story short, it's just like, you know, we decided to do the Kickstarter and do 60 days of 25 to to meet a $25,000 goal. And it's been tough, honestly, because of this pandemic. People are not sure. inclined to donate right now. And that's just yeah. the, the reality. Um, so there, there might be a risk of us not meeting our goal, which might set us mm-hmm. back a couple of months. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to get it done regardless Um, And I know that it's going to happen. So I feel really confident no matter if the Kickstarter reaches the goal or not. We've gotten some help from Essence, who did an article. Um, We've gotten some help from Official Black Wall Street, who also did an article. And they've been so supportive in in getting us our name out there. 
Um, we're just trying to figure out more creative ways to get the brave release out there and to get people to to pledge. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a tough time with this pandemic and people are losing their jobs left and right. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, super hard. But I mean, I think, you know, something like this could hopefully eventually provide jobs. You know what I mean? For folks. And so people can like, you know, it's like believing in something from start to finish. Um, Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, being a footwear developer at Adidas. I think when people, and and this is like one of the things we like to do at On She Goes is we like to highlight women of color in industries that people don't typically think of us being in. And, um, you know, like I always say, if you don't see someone that looks like you doing what you want to do, you don't necessarily know that you can do it. Tell me about becoming a footwear developer at Adidas and like what that is and like how it is for you. Yeah, so I've been with Adidas for about four years and or coming up on four years. And I actually started out as a knit technician um, or a technical manager focusing on knitting for footwear mainly. And um, I did that for a couple of years or three years. And um I said, okay, what's next for me? You know, I think, especially women of color, we're always trying to figure out, all right, what's our next challenge? What's next? Okay, right. I, I accomplished this, and then I want to move on. What's going on, you know? And that mm-hmm. that's what it was for me, because I would say I'm truly blessed because I'm able to have an amazing career in the corporate world, but also be an entrepreneur and business owner. A lot of people start their businesses because they're either in a bad space or they're either they hate their jobs and um and it fuels them but I think just what has fueled me is just really kind of you know to your point being in places where I can represent and that's what fuels me because if someone said you know Sarah you're going to be a footwear developer at Adidas in 2020, I would have been like, first of all, where is Portland? <laughs> That's what I would have said. What is said. that? Right. <laughs> what is, because honestly, when I when I left New York, that's what my friends were telling me. They was like, Sarah, where is Portland? And I'm like, Oregon, like, come on. <laughs> Before I moved here, I remember telling uh, my older sister, you're moving to Portland. And she's like, oh, the Midwest, you'll be near me. And I was like, no, girl. no, <laughs> it's the far west. I don't even don't. I, and now don't ask me no more questions because I actually don't know. But it's the far west. But go ahead. Right. It. It. <laughs> you're just like, oh, this. Okay, this is a place that it's its own world. And I got into the role, and I said, okay, how do want How do I want to grow? And sometimes when you grow in the corporate world, it's not a linear. Um, you're not growing up like it's it's like you have to go diagonal then go up so it's not like every two years you're a direct uh senior and then a senior to director now that might work for other people (laughs) yeah we know who those people are But, but what i will say is that adidas has given me the opportunity to kind of spread my wings and um being a developer is interesting because I knew knit. However, learning about the components of the shoe, learning about different testing standards, learning about, you know, systems and, 
you know, looking at a shoe a certain way and, and attention to detail, that was a little different for me. However, the skills that I had were transferable, but there was still like this learning curve there. Um, pretty much developers are like gatekeepers. We're the gatekeepers to the product. And we, you know, see it all the way through until it gets mm-hmm. in. And we're like the last eyes before it gets into the market along with marketing. And so it's it's a partnership. It's a family. And I love it. But yeah, it's it's definitely a transition. And I don't regret taking on this opportunity because it was a new challenge for me. And, you know, mm-hmm. to again, to my point, it was just like, OK, what's next for me? You know, and I feel like maybe five, five years down the road, God willing, I'm probably going to say, OK, after being a developer, what's next for me and what else can I learn? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Sarah, we can't wait to see what's next for you. I mean, we like where you are now, too. But I think, you know, you're 100 percent right when you say like women of color are constantly thinking about what's next for us. And and because we do need to know our next move all the time. And we also are just on top of things like that. So thank you so much for chatting with us today. I'm going to make sure everybody can follow the Braid Releaser on Instagram. It's the Braid Releaser. Yes, follow, pledge, donate. (laughs) Follow, yes. If you have it to give, please donate to the Kickstarter. Um, Such a great, such a great project. And also like, I mean, for women of color and specifically black women, I mean, it's so great to see uh, black women shine in this way and, and inventing things and having them come to fruition. It's really awesome. So thank you so much, Sarah. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.